Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. Hey, it's Mitch Bach from Tourpreneur here with a quick note before our episode begins. This week's Tourpreneur podcast is sponsored by TripAdmit. TripAdmit has come up with a fantastic new product called Tap to Tip. I remember being a tour guide 20 years ago and just waiting for that awkward moment at the end where your guests fumble into their pockets and whip out cash or they don't. And that sort of all changed during the pandemic. We stopped using cash and now everyone's dealing with PayPal accounts and Venmos and QR codes. John McGuire, you're the CEO of TripAdmit. You came up with something new. What did you figure out? Hey, Mitch. We've developed a digital tipping solution for the guides so that the guides, we provide them with a NFC card, which they can tap off the back of their guests' phones. That will open essentially a web app, and then the guests can tip the guides digitally, either by Apple Pay or by credit card or whatever payment method of their choice. Because as, as you mentioned, it's the, the world is going cashless and uh, certainly is, is timely for the guides to, to look at digital tipping as a, as a source of income. So no app downloads, no scanning, no typing things into your phone. You just hold this, this card up to your guest's phone and voila, they've got some convenient options to tip. Does the web app do anything else? Reviews and ratings. But what we've done is we've taken the reviews and ratings one step further and integrated ChatGPT. So the ChatGPT, is, uh, it allows the guest to input into the review, but also ChatGPT will help write the review for the guest and they can post it onto TripAdvisor or onto Google or, or onto, the, uh, onto the website of the activity book. This sounds like seamless handholding to get guests to tip and review. That sounds like money in your guide's pockets and a great service you're providing. If our operators want to learn more, where should they go? Well, if they want to know more, go on to tripadmit.com forward slash tap to tip and uh, all the information is there. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Mitch Bach, and it is another Tourpreneur Roundup, a fast-paced 20-minute episode in which we go through what is happening in the world of Tourpreneur and also in the greater tours and activities and attractions and experiences industry. I am joined today with a full house. We have Peter Syme, Chris Torres, Nikki Pia Rivera, and a special guest from the world of Tourpreneur Multiday. We have Matt Newton, the host of the Tourpreneur Multiday podcast. Good morning, everyone or afternoon or oh. evening. We are spanning all of the time zones right now. And uh, I'm just going to dive in because we have a lot to cover today. First of all, what the heck is happening around Tourpreneur right now? What do we have in terms of events coming up? I wanted to highlight three events. I'll save the best for last, Seville, 
Spain, only the best because it's in person. But we do have two virtual events coming up very shortly. We have a live stream uh, show and tell episode of our sort of continuing travel technology uh, series over the year. And that is going to be with this month's sponsor, which is John McGuire from TripAdmit. TripAdmit has created the hopefully now familiar tap to tip service in which your tour guys can get tipped through tapping a little NFC card and also using ChatGPT to enhance uh, or uh, assist in writing reviews. So we're going to actually do a live demo of that. That's on Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern, um, uh, right in the Facebook group or in the LinkedIn group. And next up, a week later, we have, and really, I don't know how to describe this, show and tell doesn't quite capture what's going to happen with um, mm -hmm. resident AI mad scientist, Alex Bainbridge. Nikki and I are going to be there. Uh, and Peter as well, talking through the strange new world of creating, I guess, humanoid interfaces that are replicating what tour guides are trying to do, but also much more generally the larger implications of what a tour guide should fear or see as an opportunity in terms of the way that AI is challenging the guide's role as information giver. So we're going to dive into that meaty topic. Nikki and I both work with tour guides daily, and so we're very interested in um, um, diving into that with Alex. As always, all of our events are listed every single week in the Tourpreneur Weekly Digest. It should be your go-to source for news and information, not only about Tourpreneur, but also about the general industry. We share our must-reads and articles off the tops of our heads uh, each week with um, um, related to what's going on in our brains or the industry or what we're hearing from tour operators out there on the ground. Finally, the big main event coming up in November, we have some big announcements to make about Tourpreneur Connect, our multi-day tour operator event uh, happening in Seville, Spain at the end of November. Nikki, what's going on in the world of planning for the event? We have booked a venue, which is very, very exciting. From the very beginning, I think we had said, you know, this isn't going to be in some chain hotel in a room that's nondescript where you're stuck in there all day and the coffee service is in the corner. Um, we've booked uh, Casa Salinas, which is a locally owned 16th century palace located in the historic center of Sevilla. And it is gorgeous. <laughs> like if whatever you're picturing right now is a 16th century palace, that's it. Um, it's incredible. We're going to have three different rooms. So for each of our tracks, we'll have rooms with, and you know, AV seats, you're not going to be, um, sitting in a museum, but it is, it is operational and it is gorgeous. So that is booked. We're set to go. There's tons of hotels, um, all different prices, some very well costed ones within a 10 minute walk, five minute walk, tons of beautiful little coffee shop. Coffee's going to be out and about when you have a break, you're going to go outside, get fresh air. We're going to inject our money into the local economy. Um, it's uh, it's going to be so good. We, uh, we've also started booking speakers, um, which is very exciting. We're going to have some local people from, from town, from Andalusia. We're going to have um, some guests coming in. Our uh, headliner, our keynote, we just booked and posted in the Facebook groups. You've probably already seen, but Hala is the GM of Intrepid Travel Morocco. Um, and the Morocco team is, is pretty incredible. It's, it's one of their bigger DMCs and they, um, they really do some incredible community-based um, tourism activities that they inject into their itineraries, but they 
also done a lot locally, um, politically, in getting more female tour leaders working on their trip in Morocco. So um, they've just done a lot. And she's going to be speaking on how you can actually change the way people see the world through tours. Right. So going a little bit bigger than just putting together a cool itinerary and selling. I love that because as the leader of it, as the general manager, it's not just I, sorry, pie in the sky, happy thoughts about how this could work as a business if the world were perfect. This is a leader with a team of over 75 people taking those principles and putting them into action, making money off of it as well. Um, I recently heard the phrase, which was new to me, uh, in the sort of nonprofit world or fundraising world, uh, no money, no mission, right? You can care all you want, but if the money's not coming in to support that, then you're actually not doing your mission any good. And so I think uh, Intrepid has actually created a really uh, powerful balance of leading with principles, but also being, I'm pretty sure, an enormous multi-day tour operator on the backs of that. So uh, thanks, Nikki, for that. I am going to spend the rest of this roundup dreaming of a 16th century palace. I will say also, uh, we'll be sharing some images in the newsletter this week. But if you go on Google, you can see candlelight, uh, candlelight events being hosted in the space. And that image of being in a 16th century palace, I'm thinking we light the entire event by candlelight. That's, uh, that's, that's my goal. Thoughts? Okay, to be determined. <laughs> I see someone come around with a high vis. High vis I know. <laughs> I know the fire marshal of Seville shutting down the event on minute two. Anyway, moving along, Matt yeah. Newton, greetings from Australia. Is that where you yeah, currently I'm are? in Melbourne, Australia. I wanted to say one thing about your trip to Morocco. I believe that they were actually the driving force. Um, they didn't just assist, but I believe they were the, the driving force in making, making it possible for women to lead tours in Morocco and get licensed. Um, I'm not sure if I've got that correct or not, but, but I do understand that they've done some really impressive stuff. So to have someone from that team is going to be really cool. Awesome. Matt, what has been going on just in the adventure of your own your own multi-day tour company? What's been on your mind? How has business been? This is really good. Focused on? Very, very good. What's, We've, what's uh, we had close to uh, 100% growth quarter and quarter in the previous quarter and now we're a few days away from ending this quarter and we're at like 70% quarter and quarter so uh yeah we're growing for small base obviously post-covid but things are going really really well um feedback is good uh and the um the team size is starting to get to the point where i'm sort of switching to ceo mode a little bit right so um the big thing i'm focusing right now on is just communicating the vision and learning, I think the big learning I have at the moment is how much you need to just repeat and repeat and repeat, but also connect the vision to reality as well. So I, I probably a mistake that I made this quarter was talking too much about ideals and why something matters, but not enough time saying, okay, and here's how we're actually going to put that into practice, right? Here's how you're actually going to know if you're succeeding or not. And that's, uh, that's, that's the next piece for next quarter, I guess. But, but overall, yeah, no, things are strong. Um, we're getting good levels of inquiry. Uh, one thing that is really wonderful once you have a brand that's more established is that the the process of taking a booking from inquiry to getting the deposit is just much smoother. I've noticed that as our brands have grown. So we have three brands at the moment, and one of them, someone like the 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 
the conversion rate when from say like a tentative booking through to, depo to deposit payment is much is much slower and um, much lower, right? Whereas with Patch Adventures, which is much more established, people just coming in, they know the brand, they know what we're about, they know our conditions, they know about all of our points of difference because we've been communicating those regularly and they close, they close. So now things are strong in the business, very pleased. Such an interesting point about brand story. I feel like actually all three of us could talk about about that or all have questions for you related to that. First of all, the question of building that momentum, it's hard, right? You're doing all of this brand work and it almost feels theoretical because you're not seeing it translate into sales or the sales journey is still a grind. And then there's that kind of moment of clicking where there's enough inertia, enough momentum, enough presence out there that you're right, the customer naturally starts to feel right. Yeah, we comfortable point throwing money your way on the well on the third of January. Everyone was back from the holidays and was excited, and we sent an email newsletter to the email list. And we're never going to do that again because uh, we got so deluged with leads that it took us three weeks to get back on top of it. So now um, we actually have split. Uh, we've split the patch audience into seven equal sizes, and as we announce stuff, we kind of just gradually roll the email out to the different segments on the list in order to be able to spread the load. So this is like one of those kind of nice problems to have. Um, and, and that's, and that's, that's come up, that's come about through, um, a lot of work, a lot of work, um, a lot of communication of what we're trying to do. And I think, um, if I had to highlight one thing, given we have a limited amount, limited amount of time is that I really keep the team focused on talking and acting like human beings, right? There's like patterns of language that people develop and um, we call it, um, automatic mode in the company. So people don't sit down to write a shit job post. They sit down to write a job post, right? Without thinking that if I just write the same job post that everyone else does, it's just going to be less effective. Same goes with emails. The same goes with Facebook posts, all that sort of stuff. And what we're trying to constantly do is get out of automatic mode, stop using cliched language that other people use, and really be considered in, in the way we write um, and communicate. And we recently did a, a, a meetup, our first ever customer meetup, and that was the thing they talked about. They were, they like multiple people were like, man, do you guys have emails? I don't know. Like one of them was like, are you training the staff to do this? I'm like, yeah, actually. Yeah. And she's like, yeah. Cause like everyone's so warm and friendly via email. It just feels so nice. And I'm like, oh, that was so rewarding. That was so rewarding. Um, so yeah, that's something that I would definitely pick up on. That has been a nice, a nice, um, really critical factor of our success is trying to avoid automatic mode and stay human. Peter, Simon must ask the on your email writing team. When, <laughs> Pete, I'm ribbing you, and I'm ribbing you because you are in full AI mode right now, but you are looking this week at how AI connects to the experience economy. Tell me more. Yeah, so after this call, I'm about to jump down on a train to London. Uh, two of my passions in life, the experience economy and travel technology. Well, the rest of this week is full on because we have the travel technology conference in London for all of Europe. And we have the World Experience Organization Summit, where I'm speaking at. Uh, one of our contributors to Tupreneur, Joe Pine, is also there, meeting him later this week. And the big question I've got at the moment, which I haven't got the answers to, I've got... I've got over 
few hundred questions I haven't got the answers to, but the big question is humans are going to spend more and more time with AI agents. That's just a fact. And that is going to happen. What the AI agents are is a lot of questions. Is it going to be one or two major AI agents that rule the whole life, or is it going to be thousands of AI agents? We don't know that yet, but humans are going to spend a lot of time with their AI. I already spend more of my time with AI agents than I ever spend on Google search, multiple other platforms. So in the minute that we have large language models in WhatsApp and Messenger, we suddenly have three and a half billion, four billion people on AI agents instantly. So it's coming. The question is, as humans get to live with AI agents more and more, what does that mean for travel? And what does that mean for the bit that really interests me? What does that mean for travel experience? Not the discovery, not the planning, not the dreaming phase, which are all changing. They are changing now in real time. What does it mean when we've trained billions of people to use AI agents when they actually get to the travel experience? As you know, and you heard me rant on before, I always come to the point of people first, experience next, and technology last. But technology is fundamentally going to be Im embedded in people's lives on a daily basis. Whatever that agent is, whether it's in your phone, whether it's in your earpiece, whether it's in your glasses, I don't care where it is, you're going to be interacting with an agent. And are people going to want that agent to help them on the experience? or just get them to the experience. And the experience is human-led, or is it agent-led, or is it combination? All these big questions about how we're going to design experiences going forward, deliver experiences go forward, I think is a much, much bigger question than how do I change the customer journey during the dreaming, the planning, the, the booking phases, which is all hugely important in AI's impact and on it. The big change for me is how it's going to impact on the customer experience on the ground. And that's what I'm spending the rest of the week with, with a lot of experts, much smarter than me, trying to figure that stuff out. That's a, such an important and brilliant point in terms of thinking about AI. I still, I have conversations daily with operators and often on their minds, they go, I love AI. It's writing my blog posts for me. And they're still really, really focused on generative AI. I love your focus on the experience because I, I say this to operators and to guides all the time that the tour doesn't begin the minute you as the guide see the tour, uh, the participant. It starts the minute they wake up and think about the tour. Uh, it, it started actually the minute they kind of booked with you. But let's say the day of the tour, I wake up and I've got to find a location. I've got to make sure I'm in the right place. I might have a question about the weather. I might have a question about the meeting location. I might be searching through my inbox to find all of the relevant details. There's a whole industry of tech companies that are supporting uh, the, um, this customer, this part of the customer journey using chatbots, um, SMS messaging, and we're just on the tip of creating a much more fluid and interesting and engaging customer experience leading up to the experience already. Uh, and that's just level one of the opportunities that I think are out there. Matt, are you thinking about this at all in terms of kind of where you're at with a company or are you just basically trying to answer yeah. all So, um, sit on a mountain of money? A couple of thoughts to share. Uh, for, so firstly, yeah, um, I wish the mountain of money was bigger. Um, let's, let's call it a hillock at the moment. 
um, a small, a small, a small bulge <laughs> in an envelope. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, it does AI. Um, one recent use for it is we, we do a lot of customer feedback collection and we've been using it to summarize that so we can share it with our DMCs. Um, I think another thing that we can talk about here is, you know, during the COVID period, um, I, like many on many tourpreneurs had to get an alternative income source. So I spent some time within a company called Affinda and what Affinda does is automatic extraction of documents. Um, so that's one thing we'll be looking at is extracting of like passports, for example, to save time there, uh, which I think is an undercovered part of AI. Um, definitely when it comes to extraction, um, I know that um, one of the world's largest travel agencies, for example, has um, signed up with them for this exact reason, to help process customer documents automatically um, via accurate extraction of ID documents and stuff like that. So that's another part of AI. But in terms of the other stuff, I'm kind of a bit like, I tend to wait till, a, and this is because I have an SEO background. Um, in SEO, you tend to want to wait to see how things flash out. Um, and so with AI, I'm, I'm keenly observing to see how things flash out um, using that wonderful framework that Peter just shared, right? People first. I think uh, a lot of people in their initial approach to this uh, focus more on efficiency, but you need to f think about like what is more efficient, what is going to help me efficiently achieve my actual goal as opposed to just efficiently help me save time. And those are often two different, two completely different pathways. So yeah, those are my, I guess, initial thoughts on AI. When we look at this whole sort of landscape of SEO, AI, marketing, and everything else, things seem to be moving at an extreme clip right now. And you're seeing a lot of the biggest companies jockeying for some pretty big changes to their platforms. You see uh, the beginning of sort of generative AI results being embedded in Google search results um, that along with things to do is sort of beginning to really change dramatically and very quickly how tours are being booked on the marketing end on the back end of advertising on these platforms like Google and Facebook. Chris, what's on your mind these days? What are you seeing with the operators that you're working with as an agency owner? Yeah, um, well, there's a couple of things. The first thing is um, four days to go, right. VA4 switch. So and there's still operators out there who haven't done it yet. So if you if don't even tell them what you're talking about, don't even tell them what you're talking about. Just tell them there's four days left. <laughs> don't know what we're four days about. left. Go back one year to um, episode and many other newsletters and newsletter and see what we were talking about. Yeah. So there's that issue. I never had all the newsletter since yes, um, but no, there's another. I, I don't know what it is. It must be something in the water or something in the weather. But over the last few weeks, um, I've seen a lot of issues with operators not having access to their own accounts, like Google Analytics, Search Console, Tag Manager, but specifically Facebook Business Manager and Facebook Ad Manager. So we're working with one uh, operator just now where we just can't get proper access to his Facebook business account because it's been set up and owned by another agency that he really doesn't have any contact with and doesn't really want to have any contact with again. Uh, and they're not, no, they're not really being forthcoming and trying to help uh, get, get the information that we need. So the only access, or the only, uh, sorry, solution that he can do is to set up a brand new business account, brand new ad account, 
and everything that comes with that. With Facebook, it's a little bit different with Google, but with Facebook, you can't transfer a business account from one personal account to another because it has to be linked to a personal account. So he has to set it uh, up again. Uh, and the issue with that is means you lose all that data, you lose all the, the pixel tracking from before because he needs to set up another Facebook pixel. Um, and there's all host of other things that just issues. Even when you set up a new ad account, Facebook will limit your budget you can spend on ads. So if you were, say, used to spending $1,000 a month, you may find you'll only be able to spend a fraction of that going forward. I've been through that. Facebook will put a limit on it for the first uh, yeah, few, maybe few months. just depends on when Facebook decide to allow that to. Um, yeah, it's horrible. So, yeah. So for operators out there, please, please, please make sure you own your own accounts because if you don't, you could end up having issues like this in the future. Um, at the end of the day, if you don't own your own accounts, you don't own your own data, it's just going to become give you more heartache going forward if you ever want to try and do anything or um, with either yourself or with another agency or anything like that on another third party. Matt, on the Entrepreneur Multiday podcast that you run, you recently had a conversation around an operator who had built a business off of a social media following. I'm wondering if you have any key takeaways uh, in this world of Facebook and Google and social media advertising in general. Yeah, so we have primarily acquired our customers through Facebook ads. Um, I taught myself how to do it. I'm a bit like that. I could obviously just try and use Chris, but um, I'm, I'm a stubborn marketer at heart. Um, and I'll tell you something that's quite interesting about... Yeah. You'll, <laughs> you, even with a tourpreneur employee discount? Um, yeah, you give him, pay him one whiskey, get advice for life, right? Um, we'll see how we go with that one. It might be two whiskeys. <laughs> um, so... It's actually interesting yeah. we're talking about <laughs> where AI and Facebook intersect. Uh, it doesn't get talked about much, but when you do ads on, on, on Facebook, it's the AI engine that's matching your ads to eyeballs. And when I first started learning Facebook ads, I would uh, create variations on ads and I would just refresh incessantly, like every few minutes. And it was so fascinating to watch the AI at work, trying to figure out which ads would work um, and how it was making those determinations gradually sending impressions to that ad and then sending impressions to that ad. And this one has a bit of success. So I'm going to send tons of impressions to that ad, but I'm also going to try these ads on the side just to see if maybe they'll get a bit of success as well. It was extraordinarily fascinating as an exercise to learn Facebook ads by learning how the AI was perceiving the ads as well. Uh, so yeah, as a learning exercise, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I know that a lot of tourpreneurs don't exactly have hours to sit there and refresh Facebook all day long, but I did find it personally to be an extraordinary learning exercise. Um, so uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is that, um, you know, there's been a lot of, it's like a, it's like a known thing in the world of Facebook that businesses don't get reach, right? When you post on your organic page, you're going to get 2% reach, right? It's like a bit of a cliche, but it doesn't actually have to be that way, right? So on our accounts, we average 50 to 60% reach when we post organically. And part of the reason we were able to do that is because we're not constantly promoting. So when I see when I see other tour, tour companies out there promoting, because I follow a lot of tour companies, it's still a lot of, um, a lot of just in your face, just buy my tour, buy my tour, buy my tour, buy my tour. And content that is not human, it's not engaging. Like people were just creating templated Canva posts, right? This tour, that tour. But, um, you know, humans engage with humans. Um, it's just a general principle of marketing. So um, even though you would look at our Facebook pages and be like, oh, this is it. Like when we tell people about the reach and the success we're having with Facebook, they just can't believe that what we're doing is it. Because we're just you know, posting your photos with like a not particularly polished caption. And 
on the back end, I can show you that, yeah, we've gotten a 50% reach on that post. So I would say if you just really focus with Facebook, you know, the, the opportunity to do well on the organic is still there. So long as you're not overly promotional, so long as you keep it human, so long as you keep very close tabs on what people engage with and what they don't engage with, you can really have a good shot at getting 40, 50% reach on your posts. And when people come through as leads, they're regularly referencing our social media posts. So we know that they're, they're following and then it's influencing their behavior. I've been there for years. Tell, tell, mm -hmm. tell the story on social. Tell your story about it, you know, of your brand and everything else, and yeah. highlight the people behind the business and getting that across. Yeah, social. social yeah, and even like, yeah, our socials like grow a brand, mm -hmm. um, and that's obviously helping with engagement yeah. as well. So it's good. To hear. One of the questions I've got going forward. One of the questions I've got Facebook going forward. And I don't know the answer. It's in my head. As we go to large language models inside WhatsApp and Instagram and messenger all owned by facebook so i'm on whatsapp and i ask i want a history tour of edinburgh is facebook going to reference out to google and bring in links or is facebook going to reference the business pages within facebook i think they would want to keep everything within facebook and not go off to google mm -hmm. so that's my inclination mm -hmm. I Obviously, don't know. I have no idea. But we've and we're talking trillions of dollars of opportunity of uh, about to be created yeah. here. Yeah. And there's a massive fight between Google, Apple, Meta, and are they really going to send all that traffic to web links outside their platform? I'm just raising the point. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't see it. Um, so, no, I sort of, I think it was probably about five years ago now. I wrote that sort of tongue-in-cheek article about Facebook buying TripAdvisor, because to me, Facebook are prime for the travel industry. You know, the amount of people are on that platform, they know when people are traveling, they know when they're in destination, and everything about them, where they move about, which, which shops, which you no know, um, uh, museums, and everything else that they go into. Facebook is absolutely prime for that, and if they actually agree. thought about the travel and say a bit more and became that sort of focus. Can I tell you about a recent booking? up being the next TripAdvisor. No, they, they are they, they are prime for it. Well, if you think if you think this through, mm -hmm. and there's a there's a trend of people thinking AI is going to make marketing cheaper. Here's an alternative view: If I'm on WhatsApp and I ask for a history tour in Edinburgh, I'm going to get one answer back from Facebook, so it's laser targeted perfectly targeted and that is a buying customer because the, the the question was so specific so am i willing to pay more for that or less for that i would suggest i'm willing to pay more for that so ai actually may take us into a world where it's delivering exactly the customer you want but you're going to have to pay for it because they're going to do this stuff for free obviously they will initially but this pay pay for click could become Pay for extreme yeah. well verting clicks and buying targeting yeah. your customer. Yeah, you pay more for that lead or for that click or for that purchase. Well, but you as they say, spending he as a goal makes the rules. Right, right. But in this case, it's he who has the attention makes the rules. Yeah. Like there was a lot of talk about yeah. data as a new gold. It's I, I totally disagree with that. It's um, it's attention, right? So um, you have the you have you. A recent example of a booking is actually thank you to Alice Obscura for this one. 
um, like a, a guest of ours came through, um, saw our ad for Iran, and they saw our ad for Iran because they visited Alice Obscura, read an article about Iran on Alice Obscura, went to Facebook, saw an ad for our Iran trip, clicked through, booked. Um, so Facebook's oh, ability to understand where you're directing your attention right now and then show you relevant things. To me, that's 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 the interesting story um, that, that really stitches together everything we're, we're talking about here and totally agree that Facebook, Instagram, with your Instagram and Facebook together, the the potential for it, for them to really embrace it as a travel platform. And obviously one of the highest revenue um, uh, niches when it comes to e-commerce, it just makes perfect sense. Comes down to you can have all the most brilliant business models at your doorstep, but if that's not where your company is looking, then they're not going to do anything. I mean, it's it's you're 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 absolutely right. It could it could essentially be a version of a much more hyper targeted and relevant OTA than the types of discoverability that you get in long lists of of search results, and it could be personalized, it could be visual, it could be all of the things. But if you've literally got a pair of goggles on and you're looking at something else and thinking about a lot of other things than that, then it's not, not coming to, not coming to fruition. Um, a fascinating discussion, great roundup and thank you all for- we close off? Could I pick up one more point as on this discussion? Is that all right? I know this is a roundup that's going a bit longer, but hey, I don't, go, I don't get to come up every single week, right? So, uh, You don't invite Matt without expecting a twenty-minute roundup to be forty-five minutes. Plus, we have to account for the 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 data delay between us asking a question so and reaching Australia. So, coming, uh, yeah, now we come around. Let's just roll this point about well, our Facebook targeting, right, and understanding interests and stuff like that. Um, the fact that they, the fact that they can understand is, it's also a specificity, right? So back in the nineties, broad like many tour brands had to be very broad in their targeting and their reach because of simple fact that Facebook couldn't reach people with a certain um, interest, right? So it's going to help us more effectively mark our, market our existing tours. But as Facebook and Meta and whoever else um, have the ability to precisely pinpoint my interests and desires, that's going to, that creates opportunities for ever more precisely focused um, tours in terms of design, right? So I think we're, we're seeing women only um, right now, but I think it's going to be becoming much more targeted than that. We might be seeing chess-related tours, female chess players going on trips together, right? Not just bird watching, but like specific subcategories of bird watching, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, like multiple sub-affinities combined together to create um, tour experiences. I think that's something that is going to be an opportunity now and going forward because of that. That's my one thought. I just wanted to leave that. No, now that thought opens up a whole new discussion. It's, it's, I think it's the best way to begin a multi-day tour business. You know, people that are attending Seville, a lot of them are going to be newer operators. Some of them are very well established, but it is a, it is a long and tough road to be a generalist in the multi, in the multi-day world. And it's an expensive road to get started. Nikki, you work at an institution that's somewhere in the middle. Atlas Obscura is offering general tours with their own particular brand vision. But I'm wondering sort of what your view from a scaled 
operator business, uh, what that looks like in terms of balancing niche audience and vision for a large for a large growing company. This is full circle because the answer is brand story, in my opinion. It's, you know, Atlas Obscura started with very, very niche trips and they sold because they have a very, very niche audience. But that audience was only it wasn't infinite. Um, So they are they're doing more general interest, so to speak, itineraries and locations. However, they're doing them with very, very strong brand stories. So, I mean, the articles. It's editorial, right? Atlas Obscura is a media company. So they have articles. We're basing itineraries around articles. They're, you know, pulling leaders from articles. They are, they're doing all the editorial work and then using that to build into a trip that, yes, is Egypt, but you're doing a lot more on that Egypt trip, even if you are hitting the main cities, if not the main sites. It's a great point in terms of brand story. It also connects to what Matt originally said, which was, He's working on communicating vision, which is a part of your brand story with his team. You need a team firing on those cylinders. You need a business You need a business that adequately expresses that because you're right. Once you have that brand story, you can honestly sell it. it fits. Uh, you get right. uh, people buy Because yeah, when I was, I was buying. just in a run, uh, I was in a run. As long as it fit. I yeah. just met up with some of our, one of our groups as I was landing. And I was talking about one trip that wasn't particularly selling that well. And they're just like, yeah, of course it doesn't. That's not a patch trip. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I guess it's not a patch trip. <laughs> but they were, they were like telling me about the mistakes that we made, that the this trip didn't fit that, didn't fit our brand. So um, yeah, kudos obviously to Atlas for the incredible way they've been able to scale that obviously with quite a large team and the consistency they execute on that is quite incredible. Nikki and Matt, open question to both of you, actually, in terms of being an operator that is looking at so many different international destinations, working with partner DMCs, any tips on how you are working with those DMCs to make sure that they recognize and understand your brand in order to deliver an experience that is on brand for your company? Um, Nikki, we'll start with you because you'll be short and concise. I've I've also had this conversation so many times with I know I keep talking about the content creators, but we I've been having conversations with them and they're all looking for DMCs and I've given the same advice every time. That is where it pays to do the work. A DMC might or might not be a fit for a lot of different reasons, but you have to I mean, I'm putting together really, really intricate requests for proposals, tons of brand stuff in there. There's a whole section around brand points how the brand feels, how it looks like on an experience, really broken down into basic levels that can be translated to someone who's not within the brand. Because sometimes when the brand story is so strong, you know it really well internally, you've taught it to your team, but you have to be able to translate that, right, B2B. So so really, really being clear in that request for proposal, reaching out to several DMCs. It takes time. It takes work. Severing out to multiple for destination, getting on calls with them, making sure it's a good fit, making sure they understand what you're trying to do, the values. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm on the phone with people and say, okay, but how many female tour leaders do you have? How many, you know, can you take this article and and pull pieces out? How how proactive can you be in creating something new? You have to really know, um, like, the action, right? It can't be this, like, uh, theoretical, like, fuzzy feeling of what the vibe is of a brand. It has to really be specific actions that a DMC can take. And all that needs to be presented to them, and they need to hear them repeat it back to you so you understand it, and then be prepared to push back, push back. 
Totally agree. There's a saying in real estate that the money is made when you buy, not when you sell, right? And in 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 travel, uh, I would say the choosing and briefing of the DMC is where the effectiveness of a tour. That's where that's where all the magic happens, right? And uh, I think if you see some of these larger brands, there's been um, some a couple of large Australian brands that have either died or um, dropped dropped away significantly. And part of and the part of that is they just lost their core essence in terms of the trips they were putting together. They were allowing DMCs to put to put just generic trips, and they just didn't have a culture of pushing back. So you need to have you need to like we're, we're training our team to be bulldogs, right? Um, it, you if someone brings back to you a trip that doesn't fit, just keep on working and just keep on going. We've taken months to get trips out of DMCs, right? We've walked away from DMCs after working a lot with them where we just realized they're just not getting it and they're just not going to get it, right? So we, we call that, um, we do have, we do have, a, we do have a process, but we, when we're doubting on it or when we're talking about it, we, we talk about the concept we use internally is we call it special feeling, right? So travel is, it's all about this magical, incredible feeling. That's, people buy travel not to solve problems. They solve it to, it's like emotion, right? And then, um, and what we try to do when we speak to uh, their brand operators is, is more or less exactly what Nikki just said. We, we try to get them to repeat us back to ourselves and to, to make sure they've got it. And we we won't proceed with them until we feel like they've we've had that transference of feeling, right? where they get what we're trying to do, where they're excited for it. They're starting to pepper ideas at us on the call. They're starting to brainstorm with us. That's when we know they've kind of started to get it. But if we get the itinerary back and we're not feeling that buzz in the stomach, like you can meet all the criteria on the, on the guidelines, but if we're not feeling that buzz in the stomach, we're not like burning with excitement to get that trip live. We're not going to put it out until we get there. Brilliant. I love that. We're going to end there. And I will say if you actually have a lot more questions for Matt, really easy all you need to do is book a flight to seville spain and come and talk to him at tourpreneur connect in seville where myself nikki matt chris peter and a dozen other speakers will be as well as uh some fantastic fellow multi-day tour operators and those that are getting into the business who may be in day tours or maybe just starting out so with that thank you everyone this is the final thank you thank you for watching listening to the Tourpreneur Roundup. As always, make sure you are part of the Facebook group, the Tourpreneur Digest. Uh, join our virtual events. Join our in-person events. And if you don't have any idea of any of those things, then just go to tourpreneur.com and all will be revealed. Are you interested in adding multi-day to your day tour business? Are you looking to understand growth and scale strategies in the multi-day world? Looking to finally crack the technology stack you need to organize, automate, and grow your business? Then join Tourpreneur in Seville, Spain for Tourpreneur Connect, sponsored by We Travel, November 27th to 30th, 2023, for an event unlike any other in our industry. Open to strictly 100 operators. Pete, Mitch, Chris, and other industry experts will guide you through the do's, don'ts, twists, and turns of running a multi-day tour business. Not only that, Tourpreneur are giving back as we will be bringing in local suppliers and businesses to help us run the event. We're also opening up the event to a number of locally based tour operators who can attend for free. So join Tourpreneur in Seville for Connect, November 27th to 30th, 2023, and join us for an unforgettable experience of learning and connection in one of Europe's most unforgettable cities. Visit tourpreneur.com connect for more info.